Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women. And after this, our beer has to return some videotapes. I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we're the Drunk Guys, and this week we are reading American Psycho by Brett Easton Ellis. I'm starting with this beer. We've had it before. Uh, I think everyone has had it recently, too, actually, on the podcast. It's called Smooth Beats Miami, and it's by Finback in collaboration with Jay Wakefield. It's a coconut IPA that's only, I think, 6% alcohol, but I have a whole keg of it, and I can't let it go to waste. So it's, a, it's almost as good as getting reservations at Dorcia. That's how good this <laughs> beer is. It is one of my favorite Finback beers. I've had it for the first time, like, this week. Or last week? I don't know. Within the last week. I think I just heard about it so fucking much. And like, it, it's good. But I feel like maybe it's, maybe it's because I had Ultimate Beats first. Mm. That like, it just does not compare to Ultimate Beats. But Because Ultimate Beats is the ultimate version of Smooth Beats, I imagine. So Yeah, that makes I mean, sense. If I mean, if I had it, I'd be like, wow, this, I'm enjoying this. But I don't know. You know, I, I think part of it is I, I, I hear that. And um, I've had it. We've had it like... The first time was on the podcast, I thought. On, uh, I think we had it yeah, when we did Moby Dick. I don't Dick. remember it all. Well, then I had 12 Ultimate Beats. So <laughs> so we had that, and it was amazing. But I was also like, we were really drunk and very excited to be recording at the at the brewery. Oh, was that Moby Dick Day? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Moby oh, Dick. I don't, I don't fucking remember that. <laughs> but then the following year, I bought a keg of it, and I was like, this is really good. It's not as good as I remember. This year's batch, I think, is better for some reason. Could just be totally in my head it's one of their few frequent repeats isn't it yeah and as eric told us in the past he gets asked like once a week when are you guys bring out smooth beats again it is one of their most popular beers so yeah smooth beats is great it comes out every year it is um last year i don't know about this year but last year they made like four or five batches of it over the summer which is really a lot for finback so just testament to how popular it is um it's really good uh summer beer you know and it's one of the great ipas that we've had, or I've had, that is only 6% alcohol. It's not a double IPA. It's just coconut delicious. That's why it felt like kind of not as intense to me, because I haven't had anything that's not a double IPA, and who the fuck knows. Yeah, it is, it is, it is almost session <laughs> at this point. <laughs> it's a session if you're good enough. So I picked this for the <laughs> book. One, because I wanted to make sure I got it in this recording season before I finished the keg. But also, Patrick Bateman, the main character, and all of his friends or colleagues, whatever you want to call them, are obsessed with being pretty smooth, at least in the way they dress and where they go and what they own. And he definitely lays some beats down on the ladies and a few gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So this book, came, appropriate. this book came out in 1991, yes, and I think the movie is 99 or 2000, somewhere around there. 2001, maybe. It's 2001, yeah. Something like that was mm-hmm. a, the film, yeah. which I saw first. Which almost everyone saw first. Yeah. I mean, this is a very notorious book. It's, it sold a lot of copies. The only reason I, I read the book, honestly, I, I'd already seen the movie, and I was, you know, this, this will date, date us. Nate, you'll remember this as an old man. But when I was in college, I had to go to the college bookstore at the start of the semester to buy books. And the line snaked through the whole goddamn bookstore because, you know, no one thought or knew to buy shit online yet. It was less of a thing then. Well, yeah, totally. I'm yeah. sure you could have done it, but it wouldn't have necessarily been more convenient. You had to or... send a typewritten telegram to the store. <laughs> but as I was... Requisition it. <laughs> as I was snaking <laughs> through the aisle like, with a pile of books that were overpriced, and uh, I 
you know, you're, you're like, oh, look at this. Here's math textbook. I'm not going to pay attention to this. And then I have to go down the aisle for the English lit classes. And American Psycho was sitting there on the shelf. I was like, oh, that's a book? Fuck it. I'll buy that. I'll get a used copy for like seven bucks or something. And, and uh, this right. was at a time when you could not just look at your phone on the line because that did not exist. That's true. Yeah, I had a, <laughs> I had a flip phone. It had like one <laughs> shitty game on it. And I can't just text everyone. Yeah. I can't just get angry by looking at Twitter, so I had to I had to do that. And so I bought it, and I read it in college, and I was like, you know, I wasn't a big reader, so I'm surprised I made it through it, actually, on reading it the second time. Yeah, this was a, an experience. Did you use the word relentless for it, Jimmy? Because that is very appropriate. Yeah, indeed. Like, I was reading it, and, like, maybe a few chapters in, and I was like, I am fucking exhausted. Yeah. And that's even before he starts killing anybody. It was just like, wow, this is like, it's, this is basically the equivalent of that scene in Ace Ventura when he just takes one big breath and then just starts discussing everything about the case and sums it up well before he runs out of that breath. There are many chapters that are exactly like that. We could go through, we should, the plot is actually really thin. There's not a yeah. whole lot of plot. And then there's a lot of, I guess, analysis we could do. So let's go through the plot briefly. This book is about cocaine. <laughs> not really. <laughs> It kind of is. <laughs> Cocaine's a supporting character. Well, it, it, okay, there's a lot of cocaine in it. All right, so, I mean, a lot of people have seen the movie, so they'll know a pretty good idea of what goes on. So the main character is a, his name is Patrick Bateman. He is a finance bro, and all of his friends are finance bros that are all obsessed with all brand name everything clothing, obviously, because he goes into that a lot, and then always trying to get into the latest, hippest restaurants. They carry around a, a Zagat's? Is that how you pronounce yeah. that? I don't even fucking know how to say that word. I know what it is, the, the restaurant book. He carries it around. Rhymes with the words you shouldn't say. They say it many times in the book, they actually. They do, yes. Well, because they're yeah. super, they're like, they're like the god of a modern-day finance bro prays to. <laughs> like, they are the... Except that they actually pray to Donald Trump. They do, yeah. <laughs> uh, I had forgotten that detail of the book. They are super racist, homophobic, and sexist. And have no empathy for anybody, especially poor people. Like, so it hasn't changed that much, except you can't say those words out loud at me. Well, that's why modern-day finance <laughs> bros in my mind look up to these guys. And they're like, they, was, they, wa- they read this and watch Boiler Room, and then they're like, that's what it's like to be in finance and Wall Street. <laughs> so anyway, there's long passages of the book where the where Patrick Bateman is just naming the things people are wearing. Like it's the, the every designer, time he sees someone. The designer slash and it's all Italian, you know, it's like it's not Armani, it's Soprani or it's other people that sing very high. What I found interesting, I mean the book is thirty years old at this point, and it, I mean it takes place in eighty six, eighty seven, eighty eight. Still very you know, as old as me and Jimmy and uh, as old as Nate's younger gray hairs. It is it, it, the the brands have changed a lot. Like a lot of those brands are not very impressive today. He's like, and he's wearing a Ralph Lauren tie. Like Ralph Lauren, you buy like, that? Can't at, you like, get that at Walmart? Target. Yeah, that's not expensive <laughs> shit anymore. But I did look up random shit. They mention Steuben tumblers a couple of times, and that's a cut crystal glass company. One of those kind of things that you buy. You know, like. Mm. Which which I imagine like old money douchebags have a, a a tumbler and two glasses with with like scotch on in their desk, yeah. you know that kind of thing, and like a and a crystal goblet with like a stopper on the top of it. Exactly. <laughs> one you buy it's a company still around, and I was I was looking at it last night. I was like, holy shit! One glass 
could be two hundred dollars. <laughs> Does it do something? Uh, it makes you feel like Patrick Bateman. No, <laughs> oh, I don't want to feel that way. I mean, I don't know. That's like half the book right there. Half the book is him naming people's clothes. And, and brand name shit, like in his apartment, or talking about the Patty Winter show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was Patty that a real show? show? I forgot to look it up. Uh, I, I didn't look that up, actually. I'll look it up Isn't right that... It's, it's basically Jerry Springer, it sounds yeah. like. Or Maury Fictionalized. The topics Maury on it were insane. Like, today on the Patty Winter show, they talk about aerobics. Today on the Patty Winter show, they talked about girls who uh, sell themselves into prostitution at age 14 no, no at age fourth grade one of them yeah, was like <laughs> fourth graders who sell themselves for sex it was like what and then another one was and this morning was an interview with bigfoot and i found him quite delightful it was oh yeah big, that was yeah. One of it them. is not a real show it was fictional but it might have been but it's it's like any day <laughs> shitty talk show from the 90s and i guess the late 80s you know yeah sally jesse Raphael. Was that Phil Donahue? Was that another one from back in the Phil day? Phil Donahue. Yeah. That uh, mm-hmm. Leslie Nielsen pretended to be in one of the Naked Gun movies. <laughs> kind of looks like Phil Donahue. <laughs> yeah, some, and, and they get increasingly ridiculous. Like, today on Patty Winters, they had a machine that lets you talk to dead people. Like, <laughs> or isn't there, like, doesn't he see, like, a Cheerio or something ridiculous getting interviewed? Like, Sasquatch. Is it Sasquatch? Well, there yeah. is Sasquatch, but I think the Cheerio might also be in there. But oh God, there was there was there was literally a hundred episodes of it that he mentioned, and, and he was... and he and he taped it every day and would watch <laughs> it like after work because he does no work. Yet. Yeah, they he do does works no out. Work. He works out two hours every morning, and yeah, at least. And or then he says he does. That's an important point. <laughs> he says he doesn't. The plot, I guess, is really just tracking how he he mentally gets crazy. He breaks down and gets crazier. Because yeah. there's not really much in terms, like all the scenes, like these little things where it's either him and his shithead friends trying to get reservations at a restaurant or trying to score coke or he's trying to fuck someone else's girlfriend or ruin his girlfriend's Christmas party or whatever it is. Or checking out yeah. uh, hard bodies. Oh, wait, I have a beer for that. This is uh, Down East Cider. This is called Aloha Friday. This is hard cider for all the hard bodies. <laughs> <laughs> There were a lot of hard bodies. This is cider with pineapple. So it's Ooh. actually like apple pineapple cider. I would drink that. That sounds nice. And it is, yes, very nice. Mm. Mm. I mean, mm. I think it's still mostly apple cider, but you can definitely taste the pineapple in it. Well, pineapple, also as good. a word, is mostly apple. <laughs> oh. So think about that shit. Anyway, very nice. Just like the hard bodies. Yeah, they were everywhere. And... There's a whole lot of characters who don't matter, really. Like, they're, they're interchangeable. Well, partly they don't matter because no one, everyone is like a running thing is that no one can tell anyone else apart. I, well, that's a big part of the, part of the book, right? <laughs> is that Paul Owen? No, no. Is that Victor Powell? Oh, no, no, that's no, no, Donovan. That? Marcus Halberstram. Yeah, the whole time that one guy calls him Marcus Halberstram, and he pretends that he is, and no one can know. Or tell the part because every one of them dresses alike and they're all basically just coked out of their minds. Well, and they're all obsessed with their physical, they're all on steroids and work out like crazy. They're all interchangeable. Yeah. Except for uh, Carruthers, who, who's the gay one. Yes. He kind of almost matters once. <laughs> that that uh, Bateman try, is about to kill him 
in the bathroom is about to strangle him, but the guy mistakes that for a like a secret caress. Yeah, he's like, like rubbing oh, his neck sensually. I'm so glad you. Why did you tell me here? <laughs> <laughs> and then these they have a couple other scenes where the guy's like, "Please run away with me." <laughs> when they're in like Bloomingdale's or something, and then I love you. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, get off of me, and he calls him the f word we can't say anymore. And that, that's the only guy that actually. And Paul Owen, he kills because Paul maybe, Owen gets maybe. the Fisher account. Well, yeah, maybe he has the Fisher account, which Patrick Bateman has no idea what it is. He just is envious. No. It's not explained. It's just like, how did you get the Fisher account? And Paul Owen is like, well, you know, I was doing this other account. And there you go. But he's like, but what is it? And he's like, he, he, he can't explain what it is because they don't fucking do anything. No. So it's pretty much like today's finance sector. Normal, really. Like, yeah. I don't know. I take money. I make it into more money. Well, I think that's one of the themes of the book, right? It's the criticism of the uh, extravagant or, or that stereotype of the 1980s is like the extravagant big business stockbroker douchebag era, which I wasn't really cognizant for any of it. So I can't say how I, I don't real think that that's was. an era. I think that's just all time. But that's, you're right, but that is like... It was taken to an extreme. Then. That's one, that's part of Perhaps. my pick. When I picture like the 1980s as a decade, it's that's one of the big things. It's like business was great because Reagan's our greatest president ever. And then every every stock guy was just making so much money and banging so many hard bodies that that was like the half that... That and some breakdancing, and that's the 1980s. And everything was neon. Like that's, oh, yeah, definitely breakdancing. And they all wore six button suits, which are terribly outdated today, but at the time were cool, I guess. They must have been so sweaty, just doing tons of blow in crowded clubs in full tuxedos made of wool. Yeah, wool tuxedos <laughs> get mentioned a few times. But it's but it's a wool tuxedo by, you know I, I would be so sweaty. Eric Henderson or fucking whatever the brand names are, I can't even remember them. So anyway, there's a ton of just like stupid nonsense. But then Patrick Bateman, because he's crazy, decides to start killing people. Maybe. Uh, so he... Right. Who's the first? First, he, like, he stabs the, a homeless guy, I think. I think the first person he kills is the takeout guy, the, the Chinese delivery oh, yeah, guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then he's upset because he uh, thought it was a Japanese guy. Yeah. <laughs> so he, they, they were just talking about, like, do you know the, those fucking Japs bought the Empire State Building? Which was a real thing in the 80s that pissed off people for some reason. But then... He's like, oh, all right. And he goes outside and he sees an Asian delivery guy and he, and he cuts his throat. And he's like, oh, how embarrassing. It's the wrong type of Asian. It's Chinese <laughs> food. Yeah. And he's like, throw, he's like I was going to throw sushi on him because he dumps the takeout food on the dead guy. And he's like, oh, it's fucking dim sum. Oh, no, it was like pork fried rice, sir. You dim some, you lose some. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, all right, well, back to, the, back to that blow. There was that other, uh, I wrote this line down because it was hilarious. Uh, they talk about, they're always talking about um, like checking out the chicks at the bar. It's like, oh, I don't know, that one, she looks a little too Armenian for me. And I was like, yeah. what, what does that even mean? <laughs> and then he's like, uh, well, like, when I hit on them, like, well, yeah, maybe if you speak Farsi. And then another guy says, they didn't look Spanish to me. Like, it's like, what? They're, they're what does super, any of this mean? <laughs> they're super racist in the, you know, the way that most racist people are. Like, they can't even be bothered to be specifically racist. <laughs> They're just like, ah, brown people. Like they just that's all they can that's as far as they can get. And they know enough words to try to make their insults more barbed, but they just are really ignorant. It's it was it was just a relentless onslaught of being douchebags and then extreme murder and long diatribes about uh individual artists' careers. There's only like two or three of this Huey Lewis in the news. 
Then there's um, Genesis and Whitney Houston. And Whitney Houston's the other guy, right? Uh, they also talk a lot. At, they, they go to the coolest restaurants and they talk about the food, which sounds fucking awful. There were way too many combinations of fish and cheese. Yeah, it was, there's some nasty dishes. He's like, I get the herring pot pie with a <laughs> tomato compote and asparagus sprig. There was a Ew. lobster with a strawberry sauce. <laughs> Actually, the grossest one, because I just finished it this morning and noticed this one. It was like some sort of cold, some sort of gazpacho with raw chicken in it. <laughs> That's what it was. Gazpacho with raw chicken. Oh my it was like, what? Ew. But they're all by some, you know, hip, you oh, know, yeah. trendy nightclub restaurant tour. They go to an Indian Californian fusion restaurant. Like, what is Californian food? I think that is a real thing, though. Is it? I, it's I, just what is, it's uh, just Mexican food. It's just avocado on everything. Yeah, pretty with much. white wine, <laughs> <laughs> and you have to talk about traffic the whole time you eat it. <laughs> You're like, oh no, I took the I took the four hundred three. Well, this time of day. No, I think that is a I think that is a real thing. I it believe is, it, but I still don't know what it, it is. It has a Wikipedia page. Oh, God. Focuses on dishes that are driven by local and sustainable... Oh, it's such Californian shit. Local and sustainable ingredients and an attention to seasonality and an emphasis on the bounty of the region, according to Wikipedia. So it's like eating... But then like, you can't do that in another place. I mean, maybe that's one of the inner, inner, inner inside kind of jokes. Uh, that's not necessarily what book. it meant in 1986, though. California was new back then. <laughs> it was new. <laughs> still, though. That's not maybe what California food was referring to, or California style. Well, there's California style pizza. And Which is a fucking abomination. Is that where it's like no red sauce? I don't sauce? know, but I've been to California Pizza Kitchen, and it's honestly like someone just shit on a pizza. <laughs> and I'm not saying that as a New York pizza snob, because Chicago pizza is awesome. It's a nightmare, and it makes you feel like you're going to shit in your pants when you stand up. <laughs> but... California pizza is just a travesty. Oh, it's, it's like, like a step. It's a step below DiGiorno, which is pretty. It's pretty decent. That might just be California Pizza Kitchen, whatever the fuck that place is called. It's yeah, what I'm looking at here. That. It sounds like hipster pizza. It's like thin crusts with prosciutto and truffles and goat cheese. You know, it's like fancy pants pizza. I would eat that, but no truffles. Out uh, truffle is is amazing. I don't like it. Everything you, if you ever get truffle on something, all it does is taste, everything just tastes like truffle. Well, you want it to. Do you know how much a fucking truffle costs? Well, then just save it. Don't give it to me. Sounds like all Patrick Bateman would eat yeah. is truffles. Just lobster stuff with truffle and, and a gold flake dildo. <laughs> Speaking of, of uh, gold flake dildos, food, I'm going to drink this beer because I want to drink it. This is uh, Against the Grains Killer Quawa, a sour ale Quawa. with. Guava. I don't know why it's called quawa when it's a guava. I thought it was a quava, but it's not. I had to look it up. Ooh. 6.5%. Oh, sweet lord. That good, huh? That's sourer than I thought it would be. Wait, let's do the second one. It's been a while since we had one that was actually sour. I actually heard about this beer because on their, uh, it's one of their social media pages, we follow them, and they had a video where they're like, we need more guavas and, or something. And they had this dumb skit where they have one of the tech guys and the you know one of the brewery assistant guys, and they just punch him in the balls, and two guavas fall out of his shorts. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, "We got to make so much more!" And they just keep punching this guy in the crotch, and the guavas keep coming out. Like, I thought it was very entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make much sense, but I'll take it. 
it's interesting. It's named after the Hawaiian word for guava. Okay. Kuawa. Oh. Light in body, but not in flavor. That's true. Real guava-y with a hazy strawberry blonde color. It is, it is definitely closer to a, like an old-timey sour. Like it's actually quite tart. We should say this, this beer is brought to us by our supporters over at Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash drunk guys book club. That's what it is. And you could join, uh, you know, our Patreon gang and give us money for supporting the show and get in return all sorts of cool things like getting to vote in our monthly patron poll. We pick a book each month. You could get shouted out on our podcast as some very cool people will uh, at some point soon. You could get early access to our episodes a full two weeks early. And there is exclusive Patreon content. And currently we are in the midst of a Patreon exclusive romp through Don Quixote that you might want to get involved with, especially if you have a drunken professor who made you read it. This would be the perfect place to learn about that book. Uh, but for any reason too. So go over there and support the show if you'd like. So after Patrick Bateman like kind of gets, gets his feet wet in terms of killing people, he then starts murdering women. So uh, basically he hires the first, the first scene, he hires two prostitutes and there's some very graphic sex in there first and then he, like, I forget exactly how he kills them, because he does this a number of times. I want to say the first one doesn't involve a nail gun or no. electricity, but it just gets <laughs> so just almost comical. But uh, yeah. anyway. It's too grisly in detail, though, to be funny. It's really just, I just found it yes, upsetting. It's so distressing. And so he murders people. Oh, and I have a beer for that. This is from Finback. It is called Blueberry Drip like the blood so this is a imperial stout with blueberry coffee vanilla and peanut butter i'm still not sure what this has to do with the book, but i can't wait because the blood the dripping blood all right all right yeah. and even the logo on the can though listeners can't see that is really like blood dripping off the blueberries it looks like a very andy warhol-ish kind of image hmm. it does this is a sequel to banana drip that was on the Patreon exclusive episode we did on cows. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Another thing that this book has in common with that with cows, but uh, this is uh, I wish it was sweeter. It's kind of because it's kind of just bitter, which is too bad. I want to say I definitely get the coffee. No, it's just sort of like a stout, but a little bit sour and bitter. So not my favorite. Oh, and it is eleven and a half percent alcohol. I actually was shocked at how much I still liked that beer because that combination of things is really not any... I mean, it's kind of like the foods in the book. Mm-hmm. I've never had a blueberry beer that I really liked. But coffee, blueberry, peanut butter, that doesn't really sound like a good thing. That sounds like something a homeless child cooks for themselves. You know, like, like a latchkey kid. <laughs> like, oh, I have to make dinner again. Pa's passed out from the mess. Poorly MacGyvering together a meal. Yeah, or something you order at. Texarkana or what are these most of the restaurants in the book by the way I looked up are real or were real most of them are closed by now uh, but Dorcia the most important one in the plot is fake unfortunately mm. I think that's true for most of the stuff in the book like the settings I think he kind of made it, like the ones where like real horrible shit happens <laughs> he's like alright I'll, I'll make one up for that but but he wanted to make it real enough I mean besides the murdering this is probably a fairly tr- uh, truthful rent uh, representation of the culture back then for these yuppies yeah yeah it was very much you know just partying all night doing a shitload of cocaine waking up hungover 
doing some kind of quote-unquote work in finance. Yeah, it's really never explained the actual work that any of the characters do. But they all work at um, Wall Street financial management companies. Like they mention some real ones. He works for Pierce and Pierce, which I think is fake. But the other ones, they like mentioned oh, Solomon Brothers. That guy works for Lehman. Like they mentioned, yeah. real ones. Yeah, uh, I have beer. I'm gonna drink this beer because this has to do with another thing that happens with the book. For some reason, Patrick Bateman. I think this actually is important later on. But Bat- Bateman is the guy who knows everything about etiquette. So they're always asking him questions like... In fashion. Like, like, oh, what's the proper way to wear a pocket square? Yeah, like... Or wear a cummerbund. When can you wear argyle socks? What's the difference between mineral water and sparkling water? And there's like four pages of that crap, which is interesting, I guess, but not really. Uh, So this book, this beer, is from Evil Twin NYC. I've had this for a little while, but it's a stout, so it's still good. It's called... It's... And I'm using air quotes because it's in the title. It's Swiss Chocolate Almond Coffee, not... Swiss chocolate, comma, almond, and coffee. <laughs> because they're super pretentious and obnoxious about correcting stupid things like that. And this yeah. is a 12.2% alcohol stout conditioned Ooh. on Swiss chocolate almond coffee, which I don't know what that means. I do not either. It has a really strong coffee smell, like like fresh ground coffee bean smell. But the coffee taste is much more subdued, so it's actually just a really nice coffee stout. It's not as uh, intensely coffee as I expected. It's great. It's great beer. Far too smooth for 12.2% hmm. on a day that's like 90 degrees. Uh, they also do drink beers in this book, by the way. They drink random like Coronas and Amstel Lights. Well, the beer scene hadn't really uh, blossomed in the 80s. But they're really picky about booze. I mean, they're picky about yes. the beers, too. At one point, he gets upset because they don't have Corona. But they are really picky about... What he only drink? drinks J&B straight or J&B on the rocks. Is J&B a, quali- like a high brand, name brand? I don't, I don't even know. It. Re- I've, I've, I've seen it. I don't really know. I forget. I don't I mean, think it's I've a whiskey it. or a bourbon, right? It's, it's a whiskey. Is? Yeah. Let's see. J&B whiskey. Oh, no. It's cheap garbage now. It's like $25 yeah, I a thought bottle. It, I, thought, I remember seeing it like at like, you know, the bottom, like next to the Jim Beam and stuff. It's like a, a notch above well. Yeah, probably. I don't even want to I mean, know. also like the, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the scene was like for those things back in the 80s either. Like that whole... The whole business that exists today for whiskey as well as beer is completely different. Sure. Like there were like the old fancy scotches and there was like the, you know, the traditional like, you know, Jack Daniels and Four Roses and shit. But like the Jim notion Bean, of like yeah. a craft whiskey, it didn't exist. That's all within the last 10, 15 years. Yeah, but like Johnny Walker was around and that's like a lot of people think of Johnny Walker as like a great brand. Johnny Walker is fucking... Most like it's like five different things, and most of them are trash. It's bl- it's a blended whiskey, so even it's the whiskey you, they give you to mix into your Coke in Europe, right? But at a lot of places, looking like Johnny Walker Black is considered is like a decent whiskey, and then there's I forget the order. There's green and there's blue. Blue is the best yeah. one. That's like one hundred fifty dollars a bottle, two hundred dollars a bottle, depending where you get it. But they're blended, so like real whiskey snobs don't drink that because they want single malts typically. But I'm surprised that these douchebag guys aren't drinking that because they just seem to be gra- they gravitate towards name brand, not towards quality. But again, we it don't know shit about the whiskey scene. Much sense. But back then, it was totally different, probably. But I can't imagine a world in which JMB was ever like high class. But it might have been. He was complaining they don't get a Corona, which is literally a dollar now. Yeah, they named it after a disease. That's how bad it is. <laughs> <laughs>
He does mention drinking 20 liters of Evian water a day, which is, is about an a astronomical amount. No, that's at four gallons, right? Four liters is more is like a little bit more than a gallon, so I guess it's like four gallons and change, four and a half gallons. Yeah, that's just a lot of water. He must have to pee constantly. Well, steroids just uh, dehydrate you. As does, you know, staying up all night doing cocaine and, and uh, whiskey. Oh, wow. I'm totally off. 20 liters is five and a quarter gallons. That can't be even healthy for you at any point. No. No. There is nothing Patrick was doing that was healthy for him. <laughs> well, he was getting a lot of exercise, supposedly. So You can over-exercise, I guess. But if you're also just roided out, who knows? Well, yeah, when he's like, and in three, there's like these long streams of, of consciousness almost where he just lists things that he does or, or whatever or thinks. And it's like, then I kick over my umbrella stand, which I bought for $697 at Fortune Offs. Then I do 3,000 crunches in four minutes. Then I do this. And just kind of like throw away these details throughout the book. And the whole thing, every single, par- every single sentence is in the present tense. So it's just like, this is happening now, this is happening now, this is happening now, this is happening now. And you're just like, fuck, I'm so tired. And at one point, he does say, the past doesn't matter. The past is over. Don't talk to me about the past. (laughs) From what I understand. That's the the scene when his secretary is trying to tell him that she loves him. And he almost almost has feelings for a second. Yeah, but he can't. Because feelings are for gay people, apparently. Um, And there's there's like two thoughts I have. One... That sounds an awful lot like how cocaine makes you feel. <laughs> like everything is in the moment. From what I've heard, I've never, I've ever done that. But uh, from what I've gathered, and there's clearly evidence. Like he's from a rich family. Like it's only hinted at in the book, but it, he's from a super rich family. He went to that, uh, that preppy douchebag school, Exeter. Then he went to Harvard, and then he meets at one point his Harvard girlfriend, and she's like, where are you working? He's like, I'm at Pearson Pierce. And she's like, but why aren't you working? And he keeps cutting her off, but it's clearly she's going to say, why aren't you working at your father's firm? Like, your father is super rich and has his own firm. Why aren't you working there? Or why also, are you working at all is kind yeah. of also what she's saying. Because he also meets his brother for his brother's birthday, and his brother obviously doesn't do anything and treats money even, as, even more cavalierly than Patrick does. You know, like Patrick is obsessed with using his platinum Amex card. And just taking money out of the ATM to put in his gazelle skin wallet whenever he feels like it. Just to have it. Is that a real thing you can get, a gazelle skin wallet? I'm sure it is. <laughs> in the 80s, yeah. I mean, they're not endangered, are they? No, it's just like, why bother? Oh, well, he paid $950 for it at one point. Probably, yeah. I wrote this down because it was hilarious. His favorite, because he talks all about music throughout the whole thing. Oh, his favorite album? His favorite album, yes. I wrote this down too. And I'm yeah. like, you got to be fucking kidding me. It was Bruce Willis's The Return of Bruno. Which is widely considered one of the shittiest things <laughs> ever made. <laughs> it's like the Manos, the Hands of Fate of albums. Yeah, Bruce Willis tried to make like a shitty, like, what is it, like pop blues kind of thing? I yeah. don't remember what it even was. Probably a lot of harmonica in it. Way too much. Well, they are in a club at one point near the beginning of the book and... Eddie Murphy's Party All the Time is yeah. playing at the club. Yeah. And I was like, yes, I see that. awesome. The I want to live in that world. <laughs> he mostly listens to trash yacht rock. Like he's listening to Stephen Bishop and uh, Christopher Cross. Like these fucking garbage music. When I saw Christopher Cross, I swear to God, it was, is he talking about crisscross? The kids who wore their clothes backwards? I thought they weren't <laughs> out yet. It's, it's the kind of music that you hear in a Walmart, uh, Walgreens today. Or a CBS. Okay. The yeah. unobjectionable, smooth pop of yesteryear. 
that's and it was that's what he's into. There's actually a really funny scene where they go to the U2 concert. Oh, they, just to do code, basically. <laughs> and, of course, it, I mean, if this is like 1988, I mean, the U2, I guess, isn't that well-known yet. The Joshua and Tree album from like, That was fucking... Yeah, they're the metal lands. So, it, it, so they should have known. But anyway, and somebody goes, oh, the Edge is wearing Armani. And someone goes, who's the ledge? <laughs> and somebody goes, I think it's the drummer. <laughs> yeah. And then Patrick is like, I can't tell which one's the drummer. So like, he's a fucking dumbass. And some, and he says uh, something like, and they're playing a song that I, I think sounds like, anyway, the song was actually where the streets have no name, but he yeah. just has a completely different name for it. You know, where the beat sounds the same or something like that. I really do like calling him the ledge, though, and I think I'm going to do that from now on. <laughs> the ledge. That would make Which him one's the ledge? interesting at all because he, I would want to know why they call him the ledge. Because he makes people want to jump off is, a ledge. That's what their music does. <laughs> <laughs> but at it one point, so much delay. Bono is kneeling and reaching into the crowd at them. And he's like, I notice he's wearing, you know, Versace jeans and Armani shoes. And I wave him away because I'm talking to, you know, Paul, Paul Owen. Owen or whoever. About the Fisher account. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, get the fuck out of here, Bono. Though I do feel Which, that way about Bono, too. Like, get, get the fuck I out of here, I can empathize Bono. with that. Yeah, Bono blows. But <laughs> <laughs> fucking douche. And then later on, when he talks to the college girlfriend, and he's, she's like, oh, I love you, too. He's like, yeah, they sounded really Irish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then later, he uh, nails that girlfriend's hands to a board like a Jesus and cuts out her tongue and then cuts off her head and has sex with the severed head several times. Yeah. Yeah. And then it... Oh. Immediately after that There's something for everyone in this book, really. Yeah. Yeah. Then it just gets... It just alternates. Them trying to get reservations, him arguing with somebody, or him being fucking weird as hell, and then graphic, horrible torture There's a porn. scene where they're all on the phone with each oh, other. God. With yes. call waiting. They're literally terrible. like, and then an hour later, we still haven't decided where we're going to go. We've made reservations. We've canceled them. We canceled reservations we never made. And then, but he accidentally sent both his girlfriend and one of the other girls he's fucking to the same restaurant. And they're not even there because they're still on the phone talking about where they're going to go. Well, they're just showing off their call waiting. That's, that's a big yeah. part of it. Because mm-hmm. call waiting was pretty, I mean, I didn't have that in my house until like fifth or sixth grade. We got call waiting. And that was like revolutionary to not get a busy signal. So at 10 years earlier, it must have been a pretty expensive service. Well, at one point they talk about having a, a portaphone or some shit. Yeah, it's one of those like briefcase cell phones that you have to like set up a tripod and a Tesla coil on <laughs> to get it to do something. I did like uh, how as as he unravels throughout and gets crazier and crazier, he starts slipping in insane sentences to people he's talking to, but no one's paying attention, or he's not really saying them. We don't know. Yeah, but how he talks about he's talking to someone and he's like, sometimes I just want to take like a dog and take a transfusion kit and take out all the dog's blood and put it into the body of a woman. And they're just like, mm, yeah, I think I'll have the eggs with a uh, horseradish lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> I like at one point he's talking to the, they're like at a club and, and they're in a booth and like half the people in the booth are sleeping. <laughs> like, and, and he's talking to the three models that are like the dumbest people oh, he's yeah. ever met. Which is impressive because the other people are, they're all stupid. They're all so <laughs> Like dumb, at one so. point, there's the guy who keeps bragging about going to the Bahamas. <laughs> and he's like, and he's basically just, every sentence he's saying is out of a brochure he must have read. 
You know, like it's not, he's like, oh, here, this will just give you the sense of what I'm talking about too. He says, well, sightseeing is highlighted by the European culture, which established many of the islands as regional fortresses in the 1700s. Visitors can see the various spots where Columbus landed, and as we near the 300th anniversary of his first sailing in 1590, there is a heightened awareness in the islands as to the history and culture that is integral to the part of island life. Like this one long bunch of bullshit that he read somewhere, and he's just repeating it to, to Patrick. And, and that's all- not Patrick Bateman. That's one of the other dudes. And Patrick responds like, uh-huh. That's what he <laughs> says back to that. But when he's in the booth with the... with the, He says, I'm into uh, murders and executions. <laughs> he's like, oh, murders and acquisitions? Do you like it? He's like, uh, murders and... Ex- yeah, I do. And she's like, oh, most people don't like that. I have an increasingly strong desire to engage in homicide on a massive level. It's like, oh, great. Yeah, I think that's in the movie, right? That's, it's uh, similar to it in the, uh, in the book, too. I think it was in the book. Yeah. Oh, I think the movie was very... Faithful, as faithful as you can be to this kind of ridiculous shit. It was shit. pretty faithful. It, I, I think it did not capture the exhausting pace of nothing happening. Probably because so be much of the book movie. is fucking. Because <laughs> the movie monologue. would have all been voiceover, yeah. which do, they do just describing of. what people are wearing. Oh, yeah. It would have been the whole movie. It's kind of Brett Easton That and returning videotapes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, we gotta get to the videotapes. But that's kind of. And if you ever read anything else by Brett Easton Ellis, he only has a couple other books. Nope. Uh, Less Than Zero is his other really popular book. And The Rules of Attraction is another thing that was made into a movie with like James Vanderbeek, like college kids. And they all kind of take place in the same universe. And I have not read that book, but I read Less Than Zero and I've seen the, the movies and stuff. And there's kind of a thing where everybody is disassociated from like reality or they're just so superficial and they just say things in every every tone every like there is no affect like everything is the same level of importance everything is the same level of shocking or not and so people just talk and in the middle of what are really banal sentences they say things that are extremely horrifying and then it kind of just veers right back so patrick bateman does that the whole time and that fits the book but it's kind of a shtick like in rules of attraction there's a guy who comes back from his semester in Europe and he has this one long speech going through what happened in Europe. And it's like, so then, and it's really fast, but he's like, so then we went to this club over here when we listened to really shitty German trance music and I did some coke off of a hooker's tit. And then I went over here and we did this and I came on a girl's feet. And it just like says like all sorts of like, and that was my semester abroad. <laughs> like that's, that's kind of Brett Easton Ellis's thing is like everybody is miserable, but unable to face it because they're so fixated on, the very superficial elements of life. And that ends my speech. <laughs> There's more plot, but it's usually just murdering people in between totally useless nonsense. Uh, he, one person he murders, Paul Owen, in Paul Owen's apartment. Uh, and then he has the keys to Paul Owen's apartment. No, no, he murders Paul Owen in his own apartment and disposes of the body. And then he uses, he takes Paul Owen's keys and then he's used, he goes over and packs a suitcase of Paul Owen stuff and then puts on his answering machine, yeah, I've gone to uh, London, and then murders hookers in that apartment, you know, and there's just bodies everywhere. Except then, uh, and then a little bit later, a detective shows up at his office saying, yes, I'm investigating the disappearance of Paul Owen, and Patrick Bateman is like freaking out and just like making up random bullshit that could not have sound believable at all, but just like the worst. 
oh, where were you that night? Oh, I was, I went to see this new Broadway play called, and then just make something up that couldn't possibly be real. (laughs) But then much later in the book, like half a year, like six months later, he goes to Paul Owen's apartment and the key doesn't work. And there's a real estate agent there. and, and, And the whole apartment is spotless. Like there aren't two dead decomposing bodies in the middle of the living room dismembered you know and he's like what and she's like yeah i'm i'm the uh real estate you my 11 o'clock appointment yeah she says she she knows he's lying he says he says uh she said oh she he says no and she said did you see the ad in the times yes i did there was no ad in the times get the fuck out of here and he's like okay and he leaves it's like the first time he's challenged in a real setting because everything else is fake but he and he runs away and then he goes on a fucking killing spree would you say that he has a Oh, <laughs> short fuse or something. A short fuse. Ah, oh, nice. <laughs> he doesn't. This is short fuse by Three's Brewing. It's a. This is an interesting s- sounding one. A Fudra fermented smoked Hellas. We did this for Fight Club, I think. Possibly, yeah. Oh, this is all a blur. It's weird. It does taste fucking smoked. Well, he does burn some dead women. He, d- he burns some, a lot of. Well, they're still alive. People. Uh, yeah, it's odd. It, d- it does taste it's slightly smoky. Did we ever figure out what a Hellas is? Is it a Greek Hellas beer? Hellas is a light German. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a light German style. Hellas means like light. Yeah, it's or only 4.2%. Like that. So that's pretty light. And um, it has typically a crisp, almost spicy flavor from the malts, uh, from the hops rather, like the German hops that used to give it a bit of a spicy flavor. I could see that slightly. I think it's kind of overshadowed or diluted maybe by the smoked flavor which is more prevalent but it it's okay and a fudra is a really big wooden barrel that things are brewed in this is not my thing but i like the title but i think i think that it's it's a weird combination because this like the the light crisp flavor of the hellas and the the subtle details of the oak from the fudra are going to be totally destroyed by the smoky flavor yeah like you can't be light and crisp and have smoke no you can't so that's something that they would, eat. they would probably eat at a restaurant, like a smoked peppermint casserole. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so he, like, he completely unravels, and he goes in this long... Sp- well, first he like, talks about Hugh Lewis on the news, but then he talk- goes on this <laughs> spree where he's like shooting police officers, and it, it kind of blurs together now. This, is this when he also... It's hard to remember the of- order of anything because it doesn't really matter. He kills the old lady, and is this when the ATM says, "Put a feed me, me a stray a cat," <laughs> <laughs> and then he kills the, like, a bunch of people. And then it's just like, he, oh, and then he calls his lawyer, and he has this big so, thing on a killing spree. There's like SWAT team chasing him, and he runs into, I think, his office. Yeah, he, he ends helicopter. up in his. He first he goes to the wrong building and kills a bunch of people there, and he realizes it's not his office. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then he so goes, then to, he goes to the other building. Goes his office, calls his lawyer. I, yeah, it was his lawyer, and then admits, like, I've been murdering people. I murdered Paul Owen. Does this all this, and then it doesn't. And then the chapters ends, and then the next chapter starts with. So I was having yeah. dinner at blah 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 with blah blah blah. It's like, huh, that was weird. And it does that a lot. Like, it doesn't say how he gets out of situations. It's just sort of like his next, you know, next thing. Was also weird about that part was it switched to the third person. For just that scene, very for just I think a for second, a, yeah, a, a very important reason is it. He fully depersonalizes. 
Yeah, I think it's because <laughs> he's imagining when it. he's yeah. finally snapped a hundred percent. That ATM never got that cat. It's real sad. <laughs> he kills some more people, but then in like the second to final scene, you know, the uh, he actually sees his lawyer in person. He's at a dinner with him, you know, and he tells the lawyer, "Like, what did you what did you think of my you know phone message?" Oh, wait, that was from you? Oh, yeah, that was hilarious. That was hysterical. It's like, wait, what do you mean? I really did kill all those people. I really did call Paul Owen. And then the lawyer goes, but I just had lunch with him last week. Like, oh, wait. And this is a full year later, a year and a half later. And he's also like, and but you shouldn't have picked someone like Patrick Bateman. He's such a pussy. He would never, like, he doesn't even sound believable to do this. Yeah, he's such a suck up. Like he, he doesn't even never... know he's talking to Bateman, his <laughs> own client. Yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah, he said he had lunch with Paul Owen in London, where Patrick pretended that he was theoretically after he killed him. So uh, the last sort of scene is Patrick is having dinner somewhere, and then he at Harry's, and uh, and above the door is covered by the red velvet drapes. And Harry's is a sign, and on the sign, in letters that match the drape colors, are the words. This is not an exit. Period. That's that's the end of the that's the end of the thing. And I have a beer for that. This is from Twenty First Amendment. This is called Hell or High Watermelon. This is a four point nine percent wheat beer brewed with watermelon, and it says seasonal release. I guess it kind of tastes like watermelon and like wheat beer. Can't say I like it. To me, it tasted like. Like someone just left an old piece of watermelon in a beer for a while. <laughs> that, that is... I think that's how they brew it. Sort of it. <laughs> it's such a delicate flavor. Yeah. There's a reason behind this beer is because that last line is a reference to a play by Jean-Paul Sartre called No Exit, in which the main characters are basically stuck in a room together just talking, except they're, except they're in hell. And it's where the line for hell eternity. is the people actually comes from. Yeah. Uh, and so there's like, this is not an exit. Oh, wait, I know what that is. Yeah. I got a literary reference. <laughs> I also picked up on the no exit thing and it ties into, we've been saying it the whole time. We'll, we'll tie it back later, I guess. Did it, how much of the book, obviously it's fiction, but how much of it took place? You know, that's the question that you're left with because there are no repercussions for what should have been a big fucking deal when he kills, you know, police officers and the cars explode and shit. And there's like, helicopters and SWAT teams storming into buildings. And then he's like, yeah, I'm actually going to go get that raw chicken gazpacho. Like, it doesn't matter. And I'm going to talk about Mike and, Mike, Mike and the Mechanics and their new CD. How much of it actually happened? Well, he does uh, get into a fight with the dry cleaner about because they can't get blood out of his jacket. But it also might not be blood. He does say, oh, I meant uh, it's, it's chocolate syrup. It might have been like, imaginary. Oh, okay. yeah. So I don't, I don't fucking know. There, I, I want to say most of it didn't happen. Except there are weird things thrown in to throw to uh, throw you off, which is the the uh, detective showing up to actually look for Paul Owen, which is like makes you think because that's really only in the middle of the book or just past the middle. It makes you think, you know, I didn't. It didn't. I'm sure the first time when I read this that it had not even occurred to me by that point that it might not be real because there isn't really any indication quite yet yet at that time. And it doesn't really even spell it out until the very end when the, when the uh, lawyer says, but I just had lunch but with him last week. But even that line, it's not know, super clear. That's hilarious. Because they don't know who anybody is. 
they're all interchangeable. He thinks so he's he talking to someone else right there. Also true. Yeah, he could have easily had lunch with somebody else and thought it was Paul Owen. So there's like a wrinkle there. But also the real estate agent in the apartment when there should be two decomposing corpses there, but instead it's spotlessly clean and there's a real estate agent showing it to people. Like there's no way there wouldn't have been, you know, dead and dismembered women in there. So the one other thing that makes you think the stuff is real is at one point he meets a girl at, you know, some club or lunch or something. And she's, she dislike clearly dislikes him. And he's like, hi, I'm Patrick Bateman. She's like, we've met before. Oh, and yeah. he's like, have we? And then he's like, he says something to the effect of like, oh, yeah, last year at the Kentucky Derby, I like tried to put my entire arm inside of her <laughs> asshole or something yeah. ridiculous like that. And she was not happy about that. Well, there's also, um, <laughs> before he kills the two hookers, he picks up a hooker and one of his friends and he's banging them both. And he doesn't kill them this time. He just, they have a crazy weird three-way. And then he says, and then when they're leaving, she has a black eye and they're crying a little bit. And then she's, and then we, but they're well, yeah, but when he picks her up again, he's like, I don't want to do anything like last time. I I think I might need surgery. And he just gives her a lot of money. So she like says, okay, whatever. So he didn't, he does some creepy shit. Like he might've done some butthole fisting with that girl, but he might not have murdered anyone, but he definitely does some stuff where people are like, there's something not right with him. We also skipped oh, another thing that's like just doesn't make any sense when he's at the zoo and he kills the kid <laughs> and then he feels bad not because he killed the kid because it wasn't good enough he didn't get a good enough release from killing the child he's like the cu- there's nothing there to erase when you kill a child when you kill a person in their prime you're really f- destroying something is, yeah. is what he says but then he goes <laughs> and he's like I'm a doctor <laughs> he goes to help the child and he's like this he like, I could tell that this child probably could be saved at this point. And then he does nothing but smack, but he smacks the mom in the face and no one cares. If there was a real doctor. He should should smack her because she's, you know, she needs to calm down. She's going crazy. But then the guards come and like real police show up and he just leaves and he's covered in blood. Like no one talked to him. No one asked him something. He just walks right out of the penguin enclosure or whatever it was. One weird thing I thought about about that scene was when he talks about how he kills the kid and it doesn't matter because they haven't really done anything yet. They're no one, which is kind of like the opposite reaction that everyone else has. It's like, when you kill a kid, you know, they had so much life ahead of them. It's like such a Mm. damaging thing to their potential. But he sees the opposite because all that is to him is all the present. The only thing that matters is the present so if you are not, haven't done anything, whoever you are at that moment is all that matters. A kid is nothing because they haven't done anything, which is pretty much the opposite of normal human thought. Yeah, he's definitely like a sociopath or something. He's definitely just fucking crazy. So my, my opinion is that he did none of the crazy stuff. Like he may have like smacked a girl during some sex, but everything else is made up. And I think, supporting it with the text... He's constantly returning videos, and he rents. <laughs> here, he rents like the grossest hardcore pornography. Mm-hmm. It's like, and you get random titles, and it's like. So I was watching or return the video for Tranny Oakley <laughs> and the Gangbang at the OK Corral, or like whatever the titles. Like, there's ridiculous titles, <laughs> and then, and you can tell it's like Sylvia butt fucks Agatha with her head. Like that's the name of a movie. Like they're horrible sounding. He's watching. The worst, <laughs> creepiest, hardcore porn. And he's watching things like Body Double, which is a movie with a st- with stalking 
and obsession and like voyeurism and like watching stuff. And then in many of his, he watched the Patty Winter Show, which is all about like freak, freak. And the Patty Winter Show. It's 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 the Maury Povich which has of some really 1987, clearly, or it's meant to be. Yeah. And during some of his murder scenes, he watches the tapes or he records the scenes and watches them later. And he videotapes the murders. Like it's all fantasy based on what he what he has been seeing in these movies, and he just puts it together and wants to live them out because his real life, he is despite all the trappings of luxury, which. At one point, he's like, I'm thinking of this. I'm thinking of that. And he just keeps saying the word ultimate luxury appears like five times. No, the phrase ultimate luxury. Despite that, he's actually miserable. He's completely unhappy. So he thinks that destroying things and torturing women and and doing all this horrible stuff will make him happy. So he fantasizes about it. So I think, you know, none of it really, none of it happens. And then to tie it to Nate's no exit thing, like he thought that that would be an escape for him, but it wasn't. It is not an exit these fantasies. He's still trapped in this shitty life. There's my theory. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. It's certainly, yeah, I mean, it's it's unlikely that any of it's real. Maybe tiny bits, but it's unlikely. It's impossible that all of it's real. It's impossible that it's all real. You know, the Wikipedia page just says uh, something like bringing up the possibility that Bateman is an unreliable narrator. It doesn't go into any more detail than that. It just kind of says, bringing up the possibility. Like, huh, I wonder why they put that in there. Is because they didn't want readers to guess, to say, oh, it's definitely, or to readers to come to their own conclusion. Or maybe it's so ambiguous that it almost could have happened, except almost could not have. This book is very similar to um, Fight Club in that way. It's a similar style similar kind of thing from a book from a similar period of time. I mean, when did Fight Club come out? The book? 96 or something like that. Anyway, 91, 96, so kind of close. 96. I mean, they're, they're definitely both part of the same transgressive book movement. You know, like, mm-hmm. there are clearly passages in Fight Club, but much more so in American Cycle that are just meant to be upsetting and disturbing. Like when he kills the college girlfriend, he like nails her hands, he maces her and nails her hands. Like I, I really did not, I felt like nauseated. Like I did not want to read it. I actually just skipped some of those paragraphs. I was just like, I skipped the paragraphs where you knew the entire paragraph is him just describing clothes. I just skipped those and then went right past some of the murders too. And the chapters about like Whitney Houston, where he's just talking about (laughs) a particular artist. I was like, oh, I know what this is. And then just skipped it. But in those, uh, another thing there, like those chapters, like what's the point of those, right? He's so obsessed with having the right stuff, like the right physical things and the right opinions. Like he has to know the right type of Perrier to fucking drink and the right meals to eat and the right tie to wear with what socks. And those, those like rock critic essays that are in there about shitty music... <laughs> Clearly, he's just copying stuff from some other sources. Like he's he's just hearing other things, and he's like, "That's how I'm supposed to. That's what I'm supposed to be doing." And all of them, he talks about how you know, basically, their most popular stuff is their best stuff, and anything vaguely weird or experimental is just like trash. And like, oh, they really didn't do this right. When his girlfriend says, "Why are you working there? Why are you doing anything?" He's like, "Because I want to fit in." Yeah, that's a really important. He line. knows he has to fit in no matter what, and so he learns these things because he's insane, and maybe it's just like a mask. 
Well, there's a great scene in the movie. It's one of the early scenes, I think, with him is him staring in a mirror and he peels off like a facial peel thing. But oh, it yeah. comes off all in one piece like a mask. You know, like I think that that is mm. pretty symbolic. I don't think there's anything quite like that in the book, but he just talked about like randomly scrubbing with $400 yeah, they, creams and shit like that. I had, I, had, I had one other thought about how this could be. Could this entire thing be because of the steroids? It's got roid rage. Because like steroid like psychosis is a thing that can happen. Like you can hallucinate and basically depersonalize and lose your mind if you take steroids too much. And he probably is taking a lot because he's working out two hours a day, maybe. And he's just doing fucking stimulants every day. It's a bad combination. You could, you could actually lose your mind doing that. He's also peppering his diet with Xanax and various Valium. sedatives yeah. and barbiturates, whatever. That, and at one point he says, like, I've, I have to take three of these now because they don't have any effect. Uh, Halcyons or something like that, I think it was. And it could be, though I don't know if they make a big enough deal about the steroids or, uh, to make that... Yeah, they only mention it in passing. Right at the very beginning, he says, oh, I stopped doing steroids because I was getting pimples on my back or something. <laughs> Which is a side effect. But, but like everything in the book, he, that could have been a lie. I mean, yeah. he would easily lie to people about it. It reminds me a little bit of Lolita, where you can't know if anything Humbert said in the book is actually true. Because he's clearly full of shit at some points. And so then when the other points where you're like, it's ambiguous, you're like, well... He's, he has very good reason to lie, so that might be bullshit, too. Yeah, like the, and that one, he's lying maybe to others, whoever's reading it, or maybe to himself a little. Well, uh, Bateman, Bateman seems to, to be... He's lying. He might not know. If he's actually crazy, then he's not necessarily lying because he believes it. He's just unreliable, not because he... of On purpose, but because his brain does not allow him to. Yeah, I'm not saying he's necessarily lying on purpose. I think he's just yeah. unable to tell the difference between reality and fantasy. I mean, it could be a combination of all these things. Right? Like the, the book, the themes of the book, it, it's clearly an indictment on consumerist culture. That's a big thing. It's almost a satire of consumerist culture, except for the incredibly violent, graphic, graphically described violent scenes. The, the version I had, I got from the library... It was, there was like an excerpt from his autobiography, Ready and Nelson's autobiography or something, or memoir of some kind afterwards. And there's little bits and pieces and snippets of it so you can read it. Uh, I don't remember a lot of it, but basically he lived through this shit in the 80s of just like doing drugs and blacking out and not knowing where he was for days at a time. He's like the exact age of Patrick Bateman. Like he's yeah, he says a lot of a lot of it was slightly autobiographical. Besides the murder, maybe allegedly. Well, we don't but know. also, Brett Bre- Easton Ellis <laughs> is gay, which is interesting because the characters are so. Yeah. Like, uh, well, he also he didn't come out until later, much later. True, but I wonder why he would have made. The, I mean, he could have just left out the homophobic stuff the character said. I mean, I don't know. It was but it was it was a huge part of that of that. Well, um, well, to be to be sort of fair, I suppose until like. 2008 it was pretty pretty acceptable to say something you didn't like was gay and someone who was being an asshole was no certainly that was people like abused that language to the point where those words didn't mean anything anymore definitely but it was uh, it was definitely much used more in a more uh, vindictive sense among this crowd in the 80s well there's one point where a guy talks and i'm using i'm quoting he has a low faggoty whisper (laughs) 
is how he speaks. Like, what is that exactly? There's other points where there's, you know, the gay waiters or the gay social uh, style consultants at the stores, and they're always lisping. Like, it's a very stereotypical 80s movies gay guy. In this, uh, in the thing he's talking about at the end, in this time period and in this book, everything was so superficial. Like, no one knows what anyone else does for work. No one knows what anyone's really doing or thinking because everything is superficial. Superficiality is all that really matters. It doesn't really matter at all what is actually happening or anyone is actually thinking because all that matters is the very surface of anything. There's one uh, line about superficial. When he, oh, here it is. He's talking about how superficial Courtney is at some point. He says, if she likes me only for my muscles, the heft of my cock, then she's a shallow bitch. But a physically superior, near-perfect-looking shallow bitch, and that could override anything, except maybe bad breath or yellow teeth, either of which is a real deal-breaker. <laughs> so he's weirdly <laughs> aware of it at times, or just... Well, I mean, you kind of have to be aware of it to participate in it. To be that... But like he, he knows it's superficial. He's aware of that. But he's like, but I'm actually... I'm even more... I'm just so superficial, I don't, I don't care. Yeah, no. I mean, people are superficial, but it's a, it's a willing thing. They are, will, they are involved in it. They know it's all bullshit, but you have to do it in their world. Otherwise, no one will like you, and then you can't go to Dorja and eat a <laughs> dolphin butthole souffle <laughs> with roasted with raw yeah. chicken. <laughs> raw? Ch- I don't remember that one. That's that one's actually Spontra dangerous. With raw chicken, yeah. <laughs> the others just sounded gross, but that you could you could die. Or shit yourself like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's find it in the book. It's it near the end. Oh, yeah. It's real close. It goes, uh, we order something called Eagle Carpaccio. <laughs> Mes- mesquite <laughs> grilled mahi-mahi endive with chevra. I don't even know how to say that. And chocolate-covered almonds. This weird kind of gazpacho with raw chicken in it and dry beer. <laughs> That's what he orders. Eagle. Well, carpaccio is raw meat, like beef carpaccio. It, yeah, it's, it is. It's just like very thinly sliced. It's disgusting. It's like, it's like a, it's easily like brined or something or a little bit. Like ceviche so or something. There's some sort of bullshit thing yeah. that happens. There's a line in there, I think when he's talking to his ex-girlfriend, who's a hoity-toity bitch, where he intentionally mispronounces Chevra to see if it'll piss her off. But and then he finds, well, then he decides to kill her when he finds out that her husband is the owner or the chef at Dorcia, because that's the one place he can never get yes. into. And then his brother... <laughs> randomly is like oh let's go i don't know let's go to dorcia i get reservations and he gets him at like the peak time and everybody knows yeah. him and his also his brother is like actually cool you know because he gets into dorcia just he just happens to actually know the right people and also has like the right connections that the ones that patrick like would love to have and tries so hard but it's his brother who actually is just like yeah you know it's fine whatever we'll just Go to Dorcia. And his brother works even less than him. He does nothing. He just he just gallivants around the world. He doesn't even but he doesn't even pretend to do something. But he also doesn't seem to be in one scene. He's not I think he's actually a character in one of the other books that Ellis wrote. He's not broken <laughs> like Patrick is. Yeah. You know, he's just effortlessly cool f- fucking frat bro. We can keep talking about random scenes, but is there any other major stuff to say for the book? The whole book is random scenes. That's true. Who should read it? Good question. I was thinking about this because I knew we would discuss it. You know, it's really good. I liked this book a lot. It was exhausting. I don't know if anyone needs to read this. I think this book, first of all, should have been half as long. Oh, yeah. I got Mm -hmm. the point pretty early on. 
Like, yeah. oh, they're vapid and they're assholes and he's crazy. Okay, cool. Like, I didn't need such a slow build up to his thing. It could have been a nice novella. <laughs> I mean, it was like written deliberately boring. Yeah. Except for the graphic murder. Graphic sex, graphic graphic murder. It's like, other than that, it was like written to be boring on purpose is kind of the, what I feel. Do you think it's possible that he made it so boring that like the voice of the book, of the narrator, would get it to the point where when you get to the grisly stuff, it's not, it's also boring. Like you read it in that monotone that the rest of the book comes in, you know, like that's just as exciting to him as eating the Eagle Carpaccio is yeah. murdering two and women. The whole thing is... The whole thing is, is everything is just matter of fact because he doesn't have emotions. He's just a fucking, I, I don't know if he's a murderer, but <laughs> everything is just like, this is what's happening. And then this, and then this, and then this. It's like, it's just a relentless onslaught of insane information. And it just, it becomes, you become so like saturated with it that it ceases to really even mean anything anymore. And there's almost so much murder, it doesn't mean anything yeah, like anymore it, either. After like the cops shoot out, the and then end. they go on like nothing happened, and it's like, well, what the fuck was that? I, mean, I think I thought it, it was overly long and boring. I agree with you. At for most of it, like there were there were some very funny parts um, because of the miscommunications and because they are such assholes that they don't even realize how stupid they sound. There were there were parts where I actually laughed, but then. Uh, a huge passages where like, oh no, not one of these chapters. It's 19 minutes of stereo descriptions. I, I think honestly, this is one where you could definitely just watch the movie and you get the same point. I think if you like yeah. love the movie and you want to experience it, you can read it. You can. I don't, if anyone wants to read it, go for it. But I don't, I'm not sure there's a group of people who should read this book. Yeah. Yuppies. <laughs> Maybe. No, they don't <laughs> Yuppies, read Yuppies, right. Yeah. Do yuppies still exist? Except they wouldn't. Except they wouldn't get it. <laughs> yuppies would be like, "Oh yeah, this sounds awesome." I do that to whores all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I wish he talked more about Christopher Cross. <laughs> These days, it's probably like Dave Matthews Band. Oh, for the modern day finance bros. It's cold. It's cold. It's cold play. It's cold play. I don't know a lot of like the finance douches I know like like fish and. Umphreys McGee Fish? They're like Well they don't really like it They just say they do Because they get to smoke pot At the concerts Like that's Because they're always like Douchebags from Long Island And they're just like oh, yeah. Hey man you know, Check out some fish They're going to play one song But it's four hours long And that's going to be great And no one likes it anyway But we're going to get really high They should have a fish concert Where everyone is required To be sober And see how many fish fans There are after that Even the band Has to be sober <laughs> They can't get through one song. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't know if anyone needs to read it. I think the movie is much more enjoyable. You get the same gist because he is constantly like, they're, they, this, they get the major scenes where you see how shallow they are when they're talking about their business cards or when they're talking about their suits or when he talks about fucking Huey Lewis in the news and you see he's just obsessed with lame pop culture stuff. You don't need to read the book. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree. Hmm. And, and uh, Christian Bale is really good in it. <laughs> I have a man crush on him. but <laughs> And he is the uh, perfect choice for this because he's kind of a psycho in real life. Yeah. Nobody knew that until that Terminator movie. But <laughs> And you know what? He's got weird little teeth and his mouth sticks out a little bit and everything he does. <laughs> and now that I've said it, you'll never unsee it. It's like this all the time. <laughs> Google uh, his little weird little teeth right now. But in the meantime, tell us what you thought. Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail.com. Or follow us on Twitter at drunkguysbc. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at Drunk Guys Book Club. And if you've listened this long, why not leave us a review so we don't have to use a nail gun to nail you to the floor and do horrible things to your corpse and 
watch the Patty Winter Show. Or if you're feeling especially frivolous, go to Patreon and help us out because we spend a lot of money on videotapes. And also check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening.